Our uh, sermon series is Unforgettable Lessons from Forgotten Kings. And uh, we've been looking at all these obscure figures, uh, Jehu and um, Ahab and a lot of others. And this morning we're going to be looking at a king of Judah. This is after the kingdom of Israel has been split into the northern kingdom, the northern ten tribes, and then the kingdom of Judah. And the king we're looking at is Joash, or sometimes he's referred to as Jehoash. Uh, he was a complicated man. And there's lots of interesting things to his story. I can't focus on everything this morning. Uh, but I can say this, that even though he's a complicated man, he is someone who had a, an orthodox, which means... Um, Ortho means straight, dox means teaching. He, he, he believed the right things, or at least he thought the right things. He, he wanted to walk with the Lord, but it also tells us, the scriptures also tell us that uh, he did some pretty horrific things, despite the fact he was an orthodox man, because as, it, as he aged, he became insecure, and to be frank, he became ungrateful. His heart was twisted. Now help us understand the story before I read in 2 Kings 12 and 2 Chronicles 24. I want to tell the story of a heavyweight champion and his coach who was really more of a father to him. I want to tell the story of Mike Tyson. Y'all have heard of Mike Tyson? Right? Mike Tyson was a troubled kid from the streets of Brooklyn. He, he uh, committed petty theft he was responsible for disturbing the peace, but he was also a kid that was bullied uh, and abused. His father abandoned him at a very uh, early age in life, and his mother died when he was a teenager. But in the midst of that chaos, he, he met this man named Cus D'Amato, the man you see in that picture there. And Cus was a boxing coach. And when Tyson's mother died, Cus became the legal guardian of Mike Tyson. And Tyson credits D'Amato with building his confidence, turning his life around, and being the only father figure in his life. This is what Mike had to say about Cuss. Cuss was my father, but he was more than a father. You can have a father, but what does that mean? It doesn't really mean anything. Cuss was my backbone. He did everything for my best interest. We'd spend all our time together, talk about things that later on would come back to me, like about character and courage. Cuss directed Mike Tyson on, one of, on a path to being one of the most successful heavyweight champions ever. In fact, 16 months after Cuss D'Amato died, Mike Tyson became the youngest heavyweight champion ever at 20 years, 4 months, and 22 days. And his nickname was, anybody remember his nickname? Iron Mike. I, mean, I was in college when he was fighting. I thought, man, that guy's a beast. I mean, he just... He just was dominant in the ring. And the lessons Tyson learned from Cuss propelled him into the championship. But once he became the champion, his mentor wasn't there to help learn how to be a champion. To become a champion, yes, but to be a champion, he wasn't around. And on his, on his own, Mike Tyson went off the rails. You know the story. I tell that story because I see something, in, a, a parallel in Joash's life. When King Joash was an infant, his grandmother uh, saw um, her, her own son killed by Jehu. We, we looked at that last week. And she had an opportunity to take over the kingdom. So she had the whole house of her son uh, killed off. And 
she was going to kill her grandson, her infant grandson, Joash. But a priest, Jehoiada, hid the boy and he saved his life and he raised him and helped restore him to the throne when he was seven years old. And Joash kept the faith of his father figure all his life. But that doesn't mean that good doctrine always fleshed itself out in Joash's life. And when Jehoiada died, Joash found himself going the wrong way. Let's hear the story as it comes to us from 2 Kings chapter 12, verse 2. And Jehoash, or Joash, did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all his days because Jehoiada, the priest, instructed him. And then 2 Chronicles 24. Now after the death of Jehoiada, the princes of Judah came and paid homage to the king. And the king listened to them. And they abandoned the house of the Lord, the gods of their fathers, and served the Asherim and the idols. And the wrath, and wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem for this guilt of theirs. Yet he sent prophets among them to bring them back to the Lord. These testified against them, but they would not pay attention. Then the Spirit of God clothed Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, the priest, and he stood above the people and he said to them, Thus says God, why do you break the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot prosper? Because you have forsaken the Lord, he has forsaken you. But they conspired against him. And by command of the king, they stoned him with stones in the court of the house of the Lord. Thus Joash the king did not remember the kindness that Jehoiada, Zechariah's father, had shown him, but killed his son. And when he was dying, he said, may the Lord see and avenge. At the end of the year, the army of the Syrians came up against Joash. They came to Judah and Jerusalem and destroyed all the princes of the people from, from among the people and sent their, all their spoil to the king of Damascus. Though the army of the Syrians had come with few men, the Lord delivered into their hands a very great army because Judah had forsaken the Lord, the God of their fathers. Thus they executed judgment on Joash. When they had departed from him, leaving him severely wounded, his servants conspired against him because of the blood of the son of Jehoiada the priest and killed him on his bed. So he died, and they buried him in the city of David, but they did not bury him in the tombs of the kings. Would you pray with me? Lord and Father, we come to you this morning and give you thanks for the opportunity we have to worship. We pray that you would have been with us as we sang songs of praise to you. We pray that you would continue to be with us now as we look at your word and we submit our, our hearts and our minds to it. Lord, by your spirit, would you work in us that we might learn the lessons you have for us here, that we might uh, be made more like Christ and therefore a blessing to the people around us and to our community, and that we might bless your name. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I have a friend from seminary, he's a pastor now in, in South Carolina, but I remember him telling me the story of his college days in Mississippi, a time of driving on a dark road in Mississippi country. There had been some construction on the entryway to that road. It was a road that was familiar to him, he had grown up near it, but they were doing some construction, and sometimes when they do construction, they divert you to the, to the other side of the road so they could repair the, the, you know, the one direction of traffic. You know how they do that sometimes, right? And, and that can be a little confusing, particularly in the dark. Um, traffic shifts and you got you to gotta get it right. 
Well, my friend was uh, driving on, one, on, on this road and, and made the, the proper shifts. And as he's driving down the highway, he notices over to his right that there is a car driving the wrong way down the highway. I mean, and it's, you know, it's kind of keeping pace with him, even getting ahead of him. And he's thinking, man, that's really dangerous. That person, that, that, that's, gonna, that's not going to end well for that person. And then he, he notices or he hears, you know, in the distance, a siren's. And he can see, you know, kind of in his rearview mirror and hear that a cop car is come tearing up behind that car that's driving the wrong way. And he thinks, man, that cop is desperate to get that guy going the right way on the highway. Um, I, hope, I hope it works out. And then the car kind of pulls parallel to him. And as he looks over, he can see the officer banging on the window, pointing at him. And he sort of rolls down his window so he can hear the loudspeaker. And he, he yells over to my friend, stop, you're going the wrong way. <laughs> he had gotten onto the highway in his confusion the wrong way. And he needed to stop and change what he was doing. Um, we get confused in this life. Construction on a familiar road makes them unfamiliar. A move across the country, a broken relationship, a loss of a loved one, these are similar kinds of things. They create confusion in our life. And it's exactly at these points uh, that there are things that can draw our attention away from the Lord, snag our attention, and replace God as sort of a guidepost in our life. We would call these things idols. Sometimes, in the past, it was a, a statue, a foreign god, but it can be other things. At its core, idolatry is simply the worship of anything that displaces God as the ultimate thing in our lives. Last week, we, uh, we asked you a question. What are some things that tempt you, that draw your attention away from God? And you text in a lot of answers. It's very interesting to see the things you were, you were willing to say. Yes, this is a powerful this is a powerful idol in my life. This is something that I find very alluring, and it ranged from, from money and financial security to body image to children. But, uh, but I would say that all of our answers really sort of fit into a few categories. They either fit into the category of finding significance or approval or comfort or control. And when we're dealing with loss, the way Joash was dealing with loss, often it's inner comfort and control of our externals that seem really appealing to us because we are feeling pain. We want comfort. And if we can't get comfort, we want control. The visceral desire for them can get us into serious trouble. It's exactly what we see happen with Joash. Now again, Joash is a complicated man and a complicated family story. But 2 Kings clearly tells us that he did what was right all his days, despite the fact that we, we know this horrific story at the end. And, and what this is a reference to is that Joash was an orthodox man. He, he, he himself thought the right things, believed the right things, but it didn't keep him from doing something horribly wrong in his personal behavior. In his loss, he begins to listen to voices other than the Lord's. And the lesson for us in all of this is that when we experience loss, we can turn to the idols of comfort and control. But the thing is, what we need most is to listen not to them, 
but to the voice of the Lord. Even in loss, we need to listen to the Lord. And I want to make this point very, very clear. Joash is not an idolater in the way other kings were idolaters, where they abandoned uh, uh, Yahweh, the Lord, uh, or even uh, sometimes kings in Israel worshiped the Lord but used the golden calf to do so. We, again, uh, 2 Kings uh, verse 2, jo- Jehoash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all his days because Jehoiada, the priest, instructed him. He didn't technically abandon the God of Israel. Um, he attends church, reg- you could say he's like us. He attends church regularly. He knows the creed. He sings the right songs. He even gives generously. He's an orthodox man. And I want to emphasize this because we sometimes distance ourselves from these characters in the Bible. We say, look at these people. You know, they're worshiping foreign gods. Of course, I'm not like them. We are like the characters in the Scripture. And specifically, we can be just like Joash, attending church regularly, saying the creeds, giving to the church, and yet our hearts don't have the same discipline. Orthodoxy did not ensure, if I can use this big word, orthopraxy. Straight orthopraxy, practice. He had right doctrine, but not right practice. Why not? Because devotion is not simply a matter of our thinking. It's a matter of our hearts as well. It's not just a matter of our lips, but our hands. And the question for us is, have we disciplined our hearts for devotion to the Lord? Loss often reveals the condition of our heart, just like it did with Joash. Verse 17, now after the death of Jehoiada, the princes of Judah came and paid homage to the king. Then the king listened to them, and they abandoned the house of of the Lord. I know it may be a little bit confusing here. We're trying to bring 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles together. They, they really is a reference to the princes. They were full-blown idolaters. While Jehoash was not, but he listened to them. And he made room for their practices. Joash's in Joash's moment of loss, the princes of the kingdom, his sons, his nephews, came to him. We don't have a description of the inner dialogue of what's going on with Joash, so we don't know exactly how he's dealing with this loss, but we can imagine the disorientation of losing the only man he ever knew as a father, a good father. Some of you have lost your dad. You know that disorientation. My dad died my last week of classes, my senior year in college. And I love my dad and he loved me, but I had a complicated relationship with him. And I often define myself in, in contradiction to what my father wanted me to do. And I, I was thinking I was my own man in doing that, but I wasn't. And I knew at the moment he died because now I had nothing to react to. And it was disorienting. Joash is disoriented in this loss He's looking for comfort. He's looking for consolation. And he was ready to welcome it wherever it came. Eagerly, he received it. And he gets it from these people who come to pay homage to him. There's an internal yearning for healing or maybe just distraction. And it's a powerful yearning. And those that help you with it, those that give it to you, we give them wide latitude in our lives. Either to 
influence us or, 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 or maybe they're doing something we don't agree with, but we're like, but hey, they're really helping me out, so I'm not going to mess with it. In the process, we let things in that really can be cancers to our soul. Joe Ash let people in that were full-blown idolaters. They were corrupting the faith, practice of the nation. While Joe Ash himself may have maintained his profession, he, he allowed a cancer into his house. And we can do the same thing when we're feeling loss. Are you feeling a painful absence of something, uh, a loss of a dear friend, a, a family member? What, what reaches out and says, hey, I can offer comfort. I can offer you relief. Maybe, maybe it's a glass of whiskey. Just take the edge off tonight. A pill from the medicine cabinet. A romance from someone who doesn't share your faith. A night where you just cut loose, right? I'm just, just one night. Just one night of cutting loose. So it's something else. See, these are things that can offer us a short-term bomb, and they're very attractive, but they can also enslave us. They can enslave us in addiction or, or just shame for what we've done. You can be a Christian and have this happen to you. You can have the right profession. You can be going to church regularly and still find yourself in the midst of, of a situation. You say to yourself, how did I get here? And that behavior is at war with who you are. It's in our loss that we most need to listen to the Lord. And we might say to ourselves, well, it's the Lord. He's in control of everything. He's the one who got me here. Why would I listen to him? Because the Lord is the one who has given you life in the first place. The Lord has given you the very thing that you may be missing. The, and, and, and the blessing of it has been wonderful in your life. Yes, you're missing it now, but, but he's the one who gave it to you in the first place. And beyond that, he gave you redemption from death and Jesus Christ. The Lord saved Joash when he was an infant. And he gave him Jehoiada, a better man for a father than his biological father was. But instead of turning to the fountain of that blessing and his loss, he turns to more immediate comforts. And it's understandable. We get it. But it's tragic. And it's the beginning of an ironic betrayal of the man who loved him so well. So what does it mean then for us to listen to the Lord even in loss? As these tempting comforts come calling at your doorstep, what we do is we fend them off with the memory of God's goodness to us. The gift of a faithful mother. The bond of a longtime friend. The forgiveness of sin. The redemption from death that God gave us in Jesus Christ, of God himself coming to redeem us. And if that's not enough to silence their calls, think of what he's yet promised in the redemption of your death, the death of a loved one, the reunion with friends long past, the world put right. And the voices, these voices of comfort are the very things that are gonna alienate you from, the, from that good past and that promised future. Listen to the goodness of God, even in loss. Now, the other thing you, you can be sure about with God is that if you don't listen, he loves you enough to keep chasing you down. 
He's going to send people to remind you, whether you like it or not. He did the same with Joash, verse 19. Yet he sent prophets among them to bring them back to the Lord. These testified against them, but they would not pay attention. See, this reminder, it's a blessing from the Lord, but sometimes it feels like an annoyance, an irritant. And if the challenge to our behavior is strong enough, it comes from a place uh, uh, where we have a strong connection, it makes us even mad. And it tempts us to lash out at the one who is bringing the reminder of the fact we're going the wrong way. The Lord sent, sends Jehoiada's son to call the princes back to faithful worship, to call the king back, to say, stop, you're going the wrong way. Verse 20, the spirit of God clothed Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, the priest, and he stood above the people and said to them, thus says, says God, why do you break the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot prosper because you have forsaken the Lord? He has forsaken you. You know, when we're in a situation like my friend on that, that road in Mississippi and we see the police lights coming up behind us, we have a certain kind of reaction to it, certain kind of, you know, fear because the, the, this, this person has power. No, we're, we're more likely to obey. But what, what happens when the, when the person who is coming to us, challenging us, lovingly telling us, hey, stop, when they don't have power over us, when they're a peer, when they're a family member, how do we react? When you're challenged, there's an interactive moment, maybe not you, but someone you know who's been challenged. What kind of reactions have you seen from them? Do they respond well? Remember, this is an interactive moment. <laughs> they respond well? No. How do they respond? Defensive. Defensive. Anything else? Angry? Some mean? Mean. You might say that Joe Ash's reaction is mean. When something unpleasant begins to interfere with our consolation, our comfort, we can reach for another idol, and that's control. We want to control the people around us. And with that control, we want to impose our will on the annoyance, make it go away. And when you, and when you are king, there's not much limit on what you can do. The princess most likely spoke to the king about how Zechariah was speaking against the house of the king, how Zechariah was undermining the king with his behavior, saying things like, how could the king, how can the king tolerate such sedition? Would, when would the king exercise control over the upstart priest? Verse 21, but they conspired against him, Zechariah, and by command of the king, they stoned him with stones in the courthouse of the Lord. Why did the king do this? Verse 22, Thus Joash the king did not remember the kindness of Jehoiada. The king murdered Zechariah in the temple, in the courts of the temple, the place of worship of God. The faithful servant of the Lord, the son of Jehoiada, who was like a father to Joash. How vindictive, how twisted, how ungrateful, how mean. 
when we don't remember the Lord's faithfulness, his kindness, we might still have an orthodox confession, but we become capable of incredible cruelty. Our minds might have some level of discipleship, but our hearts, they're wild. We've let our pain fester and turn into bitterness, uh, resentment, maybe even hatred. And who's it directed towards? Is it towards your neighbor who just will not mow his lawn? (laughs) Or maybe because he voted for the other party. Or maybe it's someone who's sitting across the sanctuary from you right now because they embarrassed you at the last ministry event. Or maybe it's the person sitting right next to you, your spouse. Have you found yourself saying absolutely cruel things because it gives you power and control? We might have the proper profession of faith But if that's the case, our idols are in the driver's seat. The Lord is calling on us, calling on you to stop because you're going the wrong way. You're on a path of destruction. And that's what Joash discovered. He was warned. He was rebuked. He didn't want to listen. And he spilled the blood of the priests in the temple. And the Lord disciplined him in a defeat with the Syrian army. But then his own servants assassinated him because of his cruelty towards Zechariah. He's calling on us to remember the kindness of God, even in loss, even in hardship, that our hearts might be trained in the ways of thankfulness, of graciousness. George Matheson was a Scottish preacher of the late 19th century. He never married, and he died suddenly of a stroke at 64. So he was somewhat young when he passed away. But perhaps the greatest burden in his life was the fact that uh, he was stricken with blindness when he was 20 years old. Something that he dealt with the rest of his life. He He had to study theology and preach as a blind man. And yet he cultivated in his own heart thankfulness in the midst of pain. Listen to the words of one of his hymns, O Love That Will Not Let Me Go, which we'll sing in a little bit. O joy that seekest me through pain, I cannot close my heart to thee. I trace the rainbow through the rain and feel the promise is not vain. That morn shall tearless be. You know, there is pain and loss in this life. And yes, the Lord may be very directly challenging our idolatrous behavior, maybe in stinging and embarrassing ways, but he loves us. He died for us. And he promises us a tearless morn. The proof of his love is in the cross. He spared nothing that we might be redeemed from sin and death. Can you remember that faithfulness to you? Can you remember that kindness to you and let it train your heart, train your heart to turn from the idols of comfort and control that this world offers and turn 
to the love of God that you might love as you've been loved. Would you pray with me that the Lord would work that in our hearts today? Father, thank you for this word, this stinging reminder that even those here in the midst of our church, even me, when we have a proper profession of faith, doesn't mean that we're not incapable of the worst kind of cruelty. Train not just our minds, Lord, but our hearts to be thankful for your kindness to us in small ways and great ways. Father, cultivate in us a heart of gratitude, even in the midst of loss, that we might worship you in spirit and in truth for our good, for your glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.